0: Our scripture today is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Merry almost Christmas. Um, good, it's good to be here and worshiping with you today. We have been. In a three-part series, this is the second part of a three-part series on Advent. And uh, this morning I wanted to start by telling you a, uh, a story that our... Sorry, I'm going to try to see if this will screw in a little tighter. I'm going to... Uh, yeah. Pardon me for a second. I wanted to tell a uh, story... That David Pallison told in one of his counseling classes when I was in seminary, David is, is uniquely gifted at being with people, at discerning what's going on for them. Thank you, uh, at understanding and even even unpacking the way back, the way back to uh, health, to vitality, to flourishing in their faith with the Lord, uh, to coming to faith in the Lord if there is none there. And so he told this story of uh, a last-minute effort. Oh, that's much better. Thanks a lot. A last-minute effort of a family who brought a son to him. And the son, from, from youth on, had grown, steadily grown worse and worse in his removal from life and his isolation from others. So much so that he had become almost catatonic. He really, there was no response when you talked to him. There were no movement of his eyes. There was no registering that you were there. And so the family brought this son and said, can you, can you try? And David said, sure. And so he sat down with him for several times. And you know, the length of a session is the length of a session and nothing. And so one of the things David began to do is just pray for this boy when he would come into the sessions because he didn't know what else to do and one of the images he got in his mind as he was praying was that it was like the boy was in a dark airtight sphere no light in no light out and it was protective and so David stopped praying he said I think I understand So you feel like you're only safe If you're enclosed in this darkness, you feel like the only way that you're going to survive is that this stays closed. But it's not true, and there's a light of one who gave himself for you, and he loves to be a light in dark places, and he wants to come in, and he wants to make you safer than you ever thought possible. And you know, the the boy's eyes shifted over to David, and there was a glimmer of hope, And David began to work with him. Now, he never resumed completely normal life. But he was able to take a job. He was able to be in his community. He was able to be a family member and a friend. He was able to um, praise the Lord in his church community. The thrust of Isaiah's passage is just about this. What darkness threatens? What war rages? What despair deepens? Isaiah tells us fear not Fear not because light and peace and joy that can never be taken away Are born to you He's pointing to the birth Hundreds of years before of our Lord and Savior Jesus And so I just want to take some time and look at that today I want to look at the birth of an ideal ruler And I want to look at the zeal of the Lord that accomplishes all of this So first occasion for light and peace and joy that can never be taken away is the birth of an ideal ruler and he's called by various names that we see here. Look at the first name that one of the first names we see is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. The idea here is that the words and the thoughts and the uh, attitudes that shape you have turned from being dehumanizing, making you less of who you are, to making more fully human than you ever imagined possible. I was thinking about, uh, it's a 1989 film. Some of you might not have been around in that year. A 1989 film movie called Always with Richard Dreyfus, Holly Hunter, and John Goodman. It was interesting in a Richard Dreyfus play, this daredevil crop duster who would uh, put, out, and he'd put out forest fires with his plane, and he would always fly, fly really close. And he had such skill as a pilot, he thought he would never, you know, he thought he would always get out of these scrapes, these near misses with his skill. And in the movie, it doesn't happen. He, he ends up dying. And so the movie portrays him as a ghost who comes back, and he's you know, very in love with uh, the woman that, he, that he's with, Holly Hunter. And she's grieving him uh, greatly. And there's someone who's come in to take his place in this remote area because no one else had the skill to fly. But there's someone who's showing the skill, some young guy who's showing the skill. And uh, Richard Dreyfuss sort of comes around and tries to influence him. But what happens in the story is that this guy who's going to replace him, who has the skill to replace him, starts spreading his wings, starts really uh, owning up to the task, but he begins falling in love with Holly Hunter's character. And so Richard Dreyfus' character, as a, an annoyed ghost, goes up and whispers to him as he's looking in the mirror, you won't amount to anything. You're not worth anything. She's too good for you. You won't make this happen. And you can watch in the movie, this, guy's, this new guy's countenance just falls. And he's, you know, he sort of walks away with his head held low. The movie doesn't leave it there, but that moment is closer than you realize to how this works. The ideas and words that shape you, that are dehumanizing. I was thinking again about the song Pink's, uh, from Pink called Perfect, the sanitized version, Perfect. <laughs> Um, And in perfect, what happens is we follow the cycle of abuse that envelops a young girl, especially the video. Uh, Starting at an early age, she's bullied on a playground and acts out, then continues on through adolescence. Her mother forces her to conform and, of course, into high school where the taunts get crueler and the emotions more palpable. And the story is, sadly, nothing new. And part of the lyrics to Pink's song are here. You're so mean when you talk about yourself. You're wrong. Change the voices in your head. Make them like you instead. She asks a little bit later in the song, reflecting on her continued propensity to do that and our continued propensity to do that, saying, why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do I do that? The good news of the incarnation that Isaiah brings to us is that the wonderful counselor has changed the voices. He doesn't speak darkness to you. But he speaks light. He doesn't speak war to you, but peace. He doesn't speak sorrow, but joy. The ideas and words that shape you have turned from dehumanizing to humanizing. Listen for the wonderful counselor's voice. Learn to discern it. Learn to be shaped by it. Learn to be made by that. Light in your darkness. But he also, uh, Isaiah wants to see that it's not just the wonderful counselor that is born to us, that wonderful counselor is mighty God. How do we see God fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy from hundreds of years before? How do we see God being mighty? You've got a people longing in darkness for hope of deliverance. They want a mighty deliverance. What mightiness shows up? What mightiness shows up? And here we see that the way of the mightiest is servanthood. In Matthew 20, Matthew writes, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's not the strength of the warrior come to conquer, but the weakness of a child. It's the weakness of a child that brings your salvation, that brings your hope. The outworking of God's purposes in history through the whole of Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 is associated either figuratively or literally with the birth of children. The birth of children. Truly his strength is made perfect in weakness. You know... Uh, It's no secret that my family and I enjoy the Harry Potter stories. We listen to the Jim Dale on CD. It has been our travel CDs for a long time. We read the books. And uh, we've seen the movies. Um, The one thing that's interesting about the very last movie is the final battle between Harry and Voldemort. Uh, The movie brings it across very different than the book. In the movie... There's a big duel. There's power exploding. There are castle walls falling. But in the book, Harry faces Voldemort without a show of strength, and Voldemort lashes out in his last display of self-focused, misshapen power, and he's undone. It's almost like a cliff note. It's almost like a, a footnote to the story. He's undone. He collapses under the weight of himself. It's very anticlimactic. Harry just stands there. And Voldemort's rage rages in vain. And nothing comes of it. And he's undone. And they move on. In the end of our story, humanity's story, salvation's story, all misshapen power, all self focused power will fall just like this. It says in Scripture. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Evil is the deprivation of good, we said last week. When true good shows himself fully on the last day, the undoing of the deprivation of good in many ways will be anticlimactic. It will fall in on itself. He's not only Almighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. And this is the mystery of the Trinity that we're talking about. Mystery of the Trinity taking humanity upon himself. And this is deep. And I don't know how to do this justice. So I'm going to explain it the way the church has explained it. And I'm going to give you a few categories to pray through and work through. But this is part of how Isaiah counsels us to call upon our Savior. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is both perfect God and perfect man. He is one person with two natures, divine and human. Those natures, quote, exist without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. And that's as quoted from the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. Now, one of my favorite theologians puts it this way, and it's as simple as I can get it, and I think it's good. The basic message of this statement is that Jesus Christ has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature in one person. Your nature is what you really and truly are, your essence, your substance. Your nature can be described as a set of attributes that make you what you are. The Greek philosopher Aristotle said that the essence of man is to be a rational animal, but the Bible says that the nature of man is the image of God. The Chalcedonian formula says that Jesus Christ is essentially God, God by nature, the second person of the Trinity. That's what he really and truly is. But Jesus is also man. That, too, is his nature, his essence, what he really and truly is. He is fully and completely God and fully and completely man. Everything that is true of God's nature is true of Jesus, and everything that is true of human nature is true of Jesus. It's the mystery of the Trinity taking humanity upon himself to bring us a light that can't be extinguished, to enter into our darkness in a way that cannot be taken away. But Isaiah also refers to him as the Prince of Peace. The reason this representative had to be Almighty God is because there was no human that could represent us. And so the, the God... Fully God, fully man, our Lord, Jesus, represented us as a true leader. There's a, a, a strange you know, C.S. Lewis is so artful in the way that he writes. If you read uh, The Four Loves, for example, it, the way that he puts some of the things that we feel and experience and the various aspects of those regarding love is powerful. It's powerfully written. I often read him and think, I didn't know words could do that. It's, it's really extraordinary. And he has this strange little sci-fi trilogy that was sci-fi when he was contemporary. It's no longer sci-fi. It's sort of basic. And there's a book in Paralandra, or there's a moment in Paralandra, the last book of this series, where the character is seeing a true representative of people for the first time, unhindered by sin, unhindered by death, unhindered by anything that would stand in the way of our relationship with God. And I'll read you some segments of that. There was great silence on the mountaintop and Ransom had also fallen down. It was hard to think of anything but the king. It was that face which no man can say he does not know. A clever waxwork can be made so like a man that for a moment it deceives us. Plaster images of the Holy One may before now have been drawn to themselves the adoration they were meant to arouse for the reality. But here where his live image, like him within and without, by his own bare hands out of the depth of divine artistry, his masterpiece of self-portraiture coming forth from his workshop to delight all worlds. Jesus is our true representative. He's at victory. And it's not only that you'll see him in his truly human state as our servant, that you'll be made like him, truly human, through his effort on your behalf. So much so that Lewis writes in another place that if you were to see yourself made whole by the gospel in the last times, you'd be tempted to bow down and worship. He's making you glorious. He's promised to complete the work that he's begun in you, but he needed to be the Prince of Peace, your representative. Humanity is represented by a true leader. Well, how does this happen? How does this happen? Isaiah tells us it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty who does this. The zeal of the Lord. Even when your zeal fails, his is not. Now, I was thinking about the idea of this idea that it goes on and on. That it's increasing without end, right? That's the way Isaiah puts his government and his reign. And I was trying to get an idea of what that looks like. It's hard to understand that. It's hard to understand that. And I was thinking of those signs that I've often seen that are in neon, the top of buildings, that have a huge figure. I don't even know how to pronounce the, the figure that it's heading towards in, num- in numeric terms, but it just keeps ticking, and it represents our national debt. You know, we're just like, if, you, if it keeps escalating this way, it will go on forever and ever and ever. And it's overwhelming, and it's crushing. Now imagine the complete reversal of that. There's a peace where there's no war with God and no war with one another. There's a justice where the wrong things of the world's judged, their effects are made nothing, and a full flourishing ensues. There's a righteousness where we have right standing with God, members of his family, of his kingdom. And all of these, all of these, peace, justice, righteousness, all of these increasing without end, on and on, Rejection is rejected for all time and beyond. Harshness is softened. Darkness is enlightened. Iniquity justified. Weakness is made strength. Affliction is consoled. Despite is despised. Dread is emboldened. Debt is acquitted. Labor is lightened and sorrow turned to joy. Why? Because the Mighty One, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, was born in the manger. And he would grow up to be treated harshly. And he would grow up to be darkened without light and without hope. And he would be treated as iniquity and he would be weakened and he would be afflicted and he would be despised. And he would be full of dread. He'd be overwhelmed with debt. He'd be given over to the hardest of labor. He'd be sorrowful. But the good news, friends, is that child who was born to take up our weight, the pressure is on his shoulders. You and the other people and the other things cannot take the pressure that only he can take. We try all the time. We try with career. We try with relationship. We try with our children. We try with friends. We try with any number of diversions any number of things that bring comfort or a sense of power and control, any number of things we try to use to bring light into our darkness, but they will not take the weight of it. And if you continue in that way, they'll be crushed and you'll be crushed under the weight of that. It's only the light of the Savior, of the wonderful Counselor, that can come into your darkness and bring you peace. It's God's zeal that brings you wonderful salvation. Even when your zeal fails, his does not, his will not, his cannot, and you can rest upon him. So friends, we have the birth of an ideal ruler, the occasion for your light, peace, and joy that can never be taken away. And we have God's zeal to give you light, peace, and joy that can never be taken away. Even when your zeal fails, his is not and will not. You have a comforter who will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. He did not come to leave you as you are. As we said, he came to bring you into his kingdom, into his family, to call you brother and sister, and son and daughter, and friend. Will you come with him? Will you come with him? Oh, friends, please do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you've given us such peace such joy and such light. And we move on now not to live hardened lives, not to live lives that are indifferent to your sacrifice where we cannot be thankful or we cannot show joy, but we mean to depend on you fully, to have you deeply affect us with your grace and your peace, to have you undo us with the love and kindness that you show us in the gospel. Thank you for the light shining in our darkness. We praise you and we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.